And we are back. Thank you for joining us again for Pause for Hello. We're back with our guest, DJ Brooks. Again, he's the Chief of People of Equity and Culture for the Arts for Learning Maryland nonprofit organization. Now, as we stated earlier, there's over 10 million nonprofit organizations in the world. And growing up, you couldn't have known that this is what you wanted to do. Not at all. Right? Most yeah. people want to be astronauts, astronauts basketball lawyers, players, doctors, lawyers, right? rappers. No, right, right, no right. one's sitting around saying to themselves, ah, nonprofits. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> but there's yeah. over 10 million and 1.5 of them are here in the States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you come to find this nonprofit? How did you come to become involved with it? What yeah. inspired you to wow. want to be in this nonprofit organization. Fair enough, right? So Arts for Learning Maryland, um, formerly Young Audiences of Maryland, is a nonprofit that is geared towards bringing the arts towards um, or to marginalized youth, right? And so like, that's a very simplified version of the mission. But I think in terms of my trajectory towards Arts for Learning Maryland, um, it's first started with my initial exposure to education as um, an industry, right? And so I had a lot of sales-based training, a lot of sort of customer service or client service oriented mm -hmm. training and acumen. And I'm not going to bore you with my, my trajectory to DC public schools, but ended up being in DC public schools, sure. working in and around talent and human resources. Right. And one of my responsibilities was to build relationships with principals so that I could then become thought partners with them around like all of their different staffing issues, right? Like interesting. So what I'm hearing is it was your job to be a liaison between the principals and the staff and students alike. That way they could congeal better to deal with some of the staffing issues. Yep. And to be more sort of um, nuanced, right? It was the facilitation of the relationship between like the school, so the principal representing the school sure. and central office, right? Um, Which was at that time, there was a level of almost animosity between schools uh, and central office, specifically principals, right? Because they felt like these policies, procedures, sure. demands came down from on high from central office and they were forced to like make them happen, right? And a lot of times they were in direct sort of not alignment, actually the opposite, right? Yeah. And so it was my job to kind of help them reconcile. With now, for our listeners who don't know central office, how can you, I guess, give us an example of what a central office is and what that yeah, means to yeah, each yeah. school in the D.C. area? Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So each, each there was around 110, 117 D.C. public schools mm -hmm. open at that time operating. And so the central office was the hub from which you know, the eye in the sky app. Right? Ah, sure. So like all of the different facets of a school from operations to instruction, to content, mm -hmm. to health, to marketing, to community uh, engagement, all of those different sort of slices of the pie of what it takes to run a school mm -hmm. had a, like an anchor in central office, right? So like if you were a counselor, yeah. right? Like at your school at, I don't know, uh, Elom school, right? Like, um, <laughs> you would reach out to central office to say, Hey, like I need more supplies for this, or okay. I need more help for that. Okay. So they were the hub that would help all the holes in that. I'm sure were many in the public school system in DC, right? That's wild though. Right. Cause like, that's what the sort of design 
was meant to be. Sure. But for a lot of people at the school-based level, mm-hmm. it was the opposite. It was like, yo, you are poking holes in our daily operations, right? Interesting. You're you telling us to do these things that are anti to what we are actually trying to do here and like don't actually help us or our kids, which is who we were concerned about. You know, how did you, as a liaison, manage to, one, find the holes that were created and two, kind of fix what the central office was creating. Yeah, I don't know that I can necessarily fix anything, but I think what sort of put me in a really good position to be successful there was I was able to like garner some genuine, strong, fast, organically grown relationships with Mm -hmm. key personnel, specifically principals. I love that. And this is what has brought you to your job now. Sure. Where you're able to maintain different relationships, different emotions, and maximize the potential of your your own. Agreed. Direct line sort of connection, right? So like one of the principals who I developed a really good relationship with was the principal at at Kramer Middle School, which is in Ward 7. Anybody who doesn't know anything about DC, right? Like east of the river is a thing. Okay. East of the river is like the most marginalized, the most highly concentrated okay. of like poor okay. black people, right? Sure. And so like this is where the school was. Mm-hmm. And so like I was able to build a relationship with him because like I actually came east of the river. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I stepped foot in the school, mm-hmm. like I walked with them. Like right. I really built a relationship kind of like, you know, 10 toes down from the ground up. Sure to really understand what it was that he was dealing with so that I could go back to central office and really advocate like, yo, like you're doing all of these things. This has nothing to do with the word seven. Sure. So like, can we consider this policy with the word seven lens yeah. and figure out how we make this work? And if it doesn't work, like say they don't have to do it. Right. right? <laughs> or like say they have to do a different version of it or like right. say it, right. So um, it sounds like it's safe to say that the central office was not on the ground floor working with the students and the staff. I hate man. to I hate to paint with broad strokes in that mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. but I will say that a lot of the principals that I worked with and that I served felt that. Sure. And this specific one ended up leaving DCBS. He was successful, but ended up leaving DCBS of his own regard, um, becoming a consultant and working with the CEO of my now organization. Interesting. And his consultancy, just kind of assessing from a DEI lens, mm-hmm. so from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. Mm-hmm around like the things that like were wrong or like could go better. And as the CEO was telling him about like, so we need, you know, a system here and we need an assessment there. He was like, nah, you need a person who knows how to do all of these things. And I know the person. And so he reached out to me. And so I then, you know, sort of. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now this sounds like an important acronym that everyone, not only in the school system should know, but you have a family. I'm sure that your expertise with inclusion and diversity yeah. and equity has helped sure. maintain, keep the ship afloat, right? Speak on that and how you've been able to use the skills that you have and transfer it to each aspect of your life. I think in terms of like, and I'm by no means a, like a DEI expert, right? Sure. I have tons of friends. My wife, um, right, I would say knows a lot more about DEI than I do. Um, And that is a part of what I do, but not like the largest part. But in terms of what I've learned from diversity, equity, inclusion, how I apply it to my life, a lot of it centers around asking really good questions around like what seems right. Mm. What seems right for 
the organization, what seems right for this person in this situation. Yeah. And so a lot of, you have to have a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Discernment. Yeah. And discernment between equity and equality. Sure. So like, you'll find a lot of times people will say, that's not fair. That's not Mm. fair. That's not fair. They got to do this. I didn't get to do this. They got that. Mm. I didn't get this. They've had this for this many years. When I came here, I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. Right. And like all of those are kind of aspects of equity, but they're not equity. Right. Like there's a difference between equal and equitable. Right. Equal is like everybody has the same thing. Right. Like my favorite sort of depiction of this is um, it's a meme or a picture of uh, these four people and they are standing at a fence and they're trying to watch a baseball game mm-hmm. and they're all differing heights. Right. And mm-hmm. so equal is everybody gets the same level of step stool. Sure, but if you're if you're really short like that level step so it's not gonna help you see over. <laughs> but if you're tall, you are already seeing over, so it right. actually helps you see more, right? And then equitable is like the really short person gets the tallest step stool, right? Mm. And I think that's uh, it's helping people understand that there's a difference between equality and equity, sure, and what that means and what that means for them where they are. So here, pause for hello. Our goal is to create a safe space to for people to be vulnerable. How do you, at your organization, create that safe space for your team? And on top of that, how could you compare that to your time with DCPS and being able to create that space or not create that space? Yeah, I think I was really blessed to work on the team that I worked on when I was with DCPS. Mm -hmm. And so like, there was a point where I was working for DCPS and I worked really hard and I was successful, but it was like really hard. And like, I was living in Baltimore, working in DC and sure. I was like, I'm going home. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Like I have an opportunity in Baltimore right. to like make way more money. Well, not way more, but like more money, yeah. but like cheaper price of living and still be home. Mm-hmm. Like I'm leaving. And I'll never forget this to this day. One of the principles that I was with, working with mm-hmm. it's like okay like and i was close to my principal so like, i let him know hey like in a month i'm gonna be gone sure. and so like this is our transition plan right. right and so like the chief of human capital jason cameras shout out jason cameras he's now the chancellor of Richmond public schools but he came to me and he was like look like i heard you're leaving don't leave like meet with me tomorrow i met with him the next day and he was like look like, I want to show you this. I wouldn't normally do this, but I want to show you this. It was an email from one of the principals that I worked with. And it said, hey, dear Jason, DJ's the best staffing specialist we ever had. Mm-hmm. We understand he's leaving to go work from home. Well, not from home, but in Baltimore, mm-hmm. he's going to take a sizable pay increase. Mm-hmm. There were 12 principals, 12 schools. She was like, each one of us want to donate $4,000 from each of our annual budgets to you to pay him to keep him here. And I was like, oh, wow. That's why. What a that, vote of confidence. Right. What a gesture. Right. Right. They really saw your value. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So what did you do? <laughs> did you take the money? Bro, <laughs> the crazy thing, I would probably never work for Baltimore City Public Schools. Sure. I would never see this. But <laughs> like, I had already signed the contract with Baltimore Public, Baltimore City Public Schools. Like sure. I was leaving and I was like, uh, I talked to Jay. I was like, oh, I mean, all right, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I signed a contract, but what you saying? What you, what you, <laughs> what you talking? What you got, yeah. And 
he was like, just wait on it. And mm-hmm. so they ended up building out the infrastructure and human capital, specifically with staffing. Mm-hmm. And so one of my colleagues actually became my boss, which I didn't mind because she was super smart, uh-huh, okay. super driven, and had actually helped me improve my skill set as my colleague. Wonderful. Right? So it was a really good opportunity, right? We built a team. We brought in a guy named Punkage who became one of my dearest friends. Oh, shout out to Punkage. Shout out to Punkage. Oh. And so, yeah, so like I was just really blessed to, to mm-hmm. be a part of that team. And I really attribute being a part of that team to my success in all of my future uh, professional endeavors. I'm so happy to hear that. It sounds like you made the right decision. I did. <laughs> I'll never work in Baltimore City Public <laughs> Schools. And at that time, so at that time, um, DeRay McKesson, uh-huh. who we all know and love now, right? Uh-huh. Like as um, the social activist uh, extraordinaire. Yeah. But he worked at Baltimore City Public Schools. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and we are cool to this day, sure. right? Him sure. and my wife are really cool and we're cool too. And so he was like, look, bro, your name is mud there. Like, sure. <laughs> and this was like 10 years ago yeah, yeah you know and we're laughing right but there are serious considerations to be made in the inner city schooling system what are some things that you if you had a magic wand what are some things that you would change immediately to boost everything that is preventing the school system from being its best self I'm gonna and i know it's a loaded question it is it's totally a loaded question right because like i don't want to come off as like the person who knows everything that would like lead to better traditional but there must be some things that you can speak to that would make a significant change i mean in my opinion my lived experience with dc public schools this is a safe space (laughs) it is it is i would incorporate a hybrid function or form of school a hybrid functional reform a hybrid function or form right and so like during the height of the pandemic, we had in-person learning for the people who really needed it, right? Mm-hmm. But Wednesday was always what we called an asynchronous day, which was like there was a that was a day for like kids not to be in the building. They'd be home learning virtually or asynchronously. Interesting. So and, on Wednesdays, they just wouldn't show up. Right. But Wednesdays would then allow us a whole day to like comprise meeting schedules, PDs. And when I say meetings, I mean like meetings with teachers in terms of like their content, sure. meetings with the principal in terms of like his expectations, but then meetings with like parents and the community members around like how their kids were doing, what they needed, yeah. right? And like you don't get that in a traditional school day. Like I was just have... gonna say Wednesdays off. I never even heard of anything like that. No, no, that's, but I mean that's pretty good, pretty good deal, pretty good reform that they instilled. Yeah, continue. I... Yeah, I mean, but you look at like, and then this is not, you know, education, we look at like Spain and like siestas. Yeah, you know, we can compare everyone who's not America. <laughs> we're, we're not going to do What we're not going to do. <laughs> this is, cap- this is capitalism, DJ. We are trying to work yes. with what we've got here. Yeah. We can't yeah. fight. Yeah. So yes, so yes, I would, I would institute at least one day a week that sure. was mandatory asynchronous, right? Okay. I would look at incentivizing virtual hybrid schedules for hybrid schools, students, and teachers. Mm. What change would that yield? But I mean, it's an incentive, right? Sure. And so you talk about incentives being like a retention method, mm-hmm. right? Like teachers are like, 
I will totally work for a school that if after a year I hit a certain marker, whatever that marker is, mm-hmm. I have one, two, three days a week where I don't have to be there. Like still I teach, but yeah. I teach virtually, right? Same thing with kids. Sure. If I maintain the 3.8 GPA through my freshman and sophomore year, mm-hmm. my junior year, like I, I can have half of my classes be virtual, my senior year I can have all of them be virtual, like something like that, completely fleshed out. But I know there is power in choice around in-person versus... I 100% agree with you. And how would you handle the disparity? Because let's say you have 100 kids and 30% of them are making the mark, but the other 70% of them are not making the mark. Maybe they have stuff going on at home. Maybe they have disabilities there. How would you be able to right the ship, include some diversity, equity, and inclusion with the disparity that it may cause. Well, so what I will say is I think there are a lot of program, a lot of programming that is happening mm-hmm. at the like individual school level that is impactful. I don't know how scalable it is, sure, right? Sure. Because it requires a lot of like just time, which right. is one thing that people can't get back. Right. Right. But I would say a lot of the success that I have observed or been a part of really what it comes down to it is like being able to create small learning communities Uh, maybe more intimate settings where people can feel like schools within schools Ah, right schools within schools yeah so like looking at like a ninth grade academy right Mm -hmm. like looking at like if you have a high population of ELL learners right like looking Mm -hmm. at an international academy Mm -hmm. if you have a bunch of Maybe um, older than normal seniors, like maybe having like an alt or an after hours academy for like the non-traditional students, right? Like figuring out like what it is that your community needs, Mm -hmm. like what what type of learners does your community typically produce? And then like, how can you sort of create the environment, the content, and then like the, the will? Right right? For these kids to be, or desire rather, to be a part of your learning community. So it sounds like the ability to create incentive is there. The ability to create reward is there, but it seems like there's something that's holding back the system from being intimate. Like you said, a school within a school that takes maybe more resources, more time, more energy, more central capital. offices more <laughs> human sure. right like mm-hmm. all of all of the things that capital involves mm-hmm. right resources right mm-hmm. resources resources it takes more resources yeah i had like this crazy idea where i felt like just like you know when we are at time because i feel like education is like a it is a battlefield it is a war we are yeah. fighting yeah. poverty we are fighting ignorance sure. we fight racism we are fighting so many things sure. at the educational level right and so like what do you do when you have something that is like you know like like a pandemic right like right. you make it mandatory that you do certain things to fight that mm. right so like what do we do with the vietnam where we had a draft Ah, so like what if we had an educational draft like it is every college student's responsibility or is every person's uh responsibility over age 19 or 21 or whatever it is to serve in the educational field for two to three years right that is an interesting and 
like all of these gaps that we have, like because really it's it's bodies, like sure. we don't have enough bodies, like right. And so, like, if it if it's a draft, like if it's, it's mandatory, your responsibility, like these people are going to war and dying right. off right. mandatory, like right. you don't think they go to the classroom? And maybe, and to your point, and expanding on this idea, maybe whatever it is you want to learn, right? Let's say sure. the people who went to college and the people who didn't go to college or a trade school or whatever it is, yep, you are mandatory to teach whatever it is you say you want teach, to teach or be a counselor right. or be an aide right. or be a cafeteria worker, be an ops right. worker. Now be this a is a revolutionary, revolutionary idea because you're asking people to take accountability for those around them. Now, this is what true community sounds like. I am not just asking people to take account of, I am asking like the leaders of this country mm -hmm. to understand how important our education system right. is to like make that mandate. So for every teacher out there that's listening to this, they know the struggle and they understand what they're fighting. They're against. like, hell yeah. <laughs> we, we, we already know that teachers don't get paid enough as it is. Now you're bringing to my attention just the lack of bodies that we have. Lack teach, of resources. Lack of resources. It's a total lack of resources. And the pandemic has exacerbated. Sure. Right, sure. like this connection to resources. Do you know how many people just said, fuck it, I'm leaving? You know, I don't know, but I can imagine what it would be like to go home for a few months and then not want to go back. <laughs> and like, you, you'll you get all the bullshit, right? right? You get the, oh, I don't feel safe. I don't feel like sure. it's, which, okay, there are some people who do, and that's fine, right? right. But you're- I, I, I quite, I question like people's motives, but that's fine. Sure. But like, here's the thing, like if you, like were a person who had been home for essentially a year and a half and was like, what, you want me to come back? Like, I, no, right. I don't have any problem with that. I just have a problem with you not owning that. Just own that. Right, you know, because people get into teaching because their heart's in it. They want to help. There's a genuine sense of service in that field. And when you are not being supported, it makes it challenging to buoy that, original catalyst that sent you to teach in the first place right and when you weren't being supported in person it was one thing but i think like i said it was extremely exacerbated when mm. you were home and you sure. were isolated and you were already right. dealing with all these mental health issues right, right of being alone right then you felt like your job still wasn't like giving you right. what you needed right and the funny thing is you were mad at your principal your principal was mad at central office because right. they weren't like giving them what they right. needed Right. So, you know, shit rolls out. And it snowballs. And I, I have a question for you. How were you able to take your experience from the school system and take it to your nonprofit? Because it seems like you were able to spread your wings a bit. Yeah. And speak on that a bit. Yeah. Um, I think I took the mentality around like, and it's funny, right? Because me and my guy Punky, I told you, Punky's yeah. was the guy. Sure. Love him to this day. We had this thing like we we were we literally sat side by side, and like some issue would come up, and like I would like turn in my chair to him, and he turned to me, and I'd be like, "What's the right thing here, mm. right?" And he knew what that meant, right? Because the right thing didn't mean the letter of the law, right? The right thing meant the spirit of the law. Sure. And so like, he'd be like, "Look, you know, fuck that. Yeah. I think we need to do this, this, and this." Sure. And then we'd figure out how to make this, this, and this fit into what it is that we were doing, right? right. And I get that there are sort of pitfalls to that <laughs> approach, right? Loopholes. 
Well, I mean, like, you know, we weren't playing judge, jury, and executioner by any means. But, like, yeah, I think we were both passionate about, like, equity and not equality. And so I tried to take that mindset with me to Arts for Learning, which has allowed me to, like, navigate very murky waters around, like, what the right thing was in a specific staffing situation versus what the spirit of, or I'm sorry, what the letter of the law. 100%. And do you feel your spirit more free to do that and make those decisions without having to skirt through such muddy and murky waters with the school system? Yeah. There's not a day that I don't miss more being in a school system. And like, hear me, hear me now, right? Like, I spent like six school years at Bancroft Elementary School. And what city is Bancroft? Bancroft is in Washington, D.C. It's okay. in Northwest. It's okay. in Mount Pleasant. Uh, Bancroft will always have peace in my heart. Oh, like, I blossomed, and I feel like I really helped to contribute to that, like, positive school culture sure. and community. Sure. Absolutely love Bancroft. I was at Powell before there for about a year, and then I was at Cardoza for two school years, one of them being a virtual year. Okay. Learned a lot from those experiences as well so like saying all that to say that like this is not like a spit in the eye of like being at a school because it's not a lot of my friends still do it and like i love and respect them and god bless them for doing it god bless them (laughs) if you guys are listening please comment below (laughs) but yeah no i consider myself blessed to have had the experience experiences that i've had at the school-based level. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like they've helped me one, keep a level head, keep perspective, Beautiful. and being able to like really concentrate on like what matters, like the right thing. The right thing. Because it's not easy to do the right thing when your heart is involved, emotions are involved, variables outside of your control are involved. It can be very challenging to stay on the straight and narrow path in those moments. Yeah. But it sounds like you found a nice balance. Doesn't sound like working on a nonprofit is all peaches and cream. (laughs) Peaches and cream. (laughs) (laughs) It's not all rainbows and sunshine, no. That's a better one. Rainbows and sunshine. Uh, uh, It's a little less (laughs) sexual. Shout out to that 112 album. No, that was a classic album. You can edit that out. No, no, don't edit edit that out. (laughs) Keep that. Keep that. Jesus. So being able to still feel that freedom, even though it's still challenging, must feel liberating. Yeah, agreed. I mean, to an extent, sure. right? I think every, you know, just like every person, every organization like has its shit, right? Like it yeah. has its, right? And like it takes you a minute. Like when you first start dating somebody, you're like, oh, you're cool, but like I've been dating long enough and I know you're like, I'm going to get you your shit soon enough. <laughs> and like you get there and you're like, ha. Yeah. Me ahead. <laughs> Let's navigate it, right? So, like, I think I'm at the point now, like, I'm almost six months in. Sure. So, like, I've gotten to, like, the shit, right? Like, I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. all right. I knew you had it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it is. Um, now, I'm prepared to do Now I can love you from a healthy place. I, I can love all the right? <laughs> Speaking of the shits, talk to us about the moment you you realize that, okay, I need to leave the school system. This is, this is rock bottom. Ooh. Was it that did it? Ah, <laughs> uh, what was it that did it? You know, I think there were a few different things that did it. I had. I'm not gonna get like into specifics. Sure, but this is a safe space. Remember, I completely understand and I appreciate that. 
I think there were a few different situations where I just didn't understand or I had never been in the situation where like whatever occurred had occurred. And so like the results of what had occurred were that. And I was like, wait a minute, like even though I never could have fathomed anything like this, like happening, if they did, like I thought certain people would have reacted in completely different ways and they didn't right and so for those of you who can't read minds i think what you're saying is <laughs> there was an experience that was beyond what you anticipated going into being a teacher with yeah and when that experience happened you being of sound mind and body mm -hmm. would expect certain results yeah and those results did not occur. No, not in the way that I thought that they would, right? And because they didn't occur, you felt unsupported, it sounds like. Maybe. Felt, yeah. Unseen, maybe. Unvalued. Undervalued, for sure. Well, and honestly, I just felt like, yo, like, I just did not know that people were capable of this type of, like, harm. Uh and by people, I mean like students sure. and parents, sure. right? Um, which is, you know, I, probably naive on my part. Well, naivete is such a fickle thing because you don't know what you don't know. You absolutely don't know what you don't know. Right. And to clarify, like school leadership supported me, mm -hmm. my colleagues for the most part supported, supported me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's definitely more that could have been done. Yeah, there's a lot that shouldn't have been done. Sure. There's a lot that like shouldn't have happened, right? Sure. And then there are things that like hindsight being twenty twenty on my end, like do I like you know like uh, that NFL quarterback that wishes they could have a throwback? Ah, uh, sure. I wish I had that one back. Yeah, right. It wasn't intentional. Like I didn't mean to throw it to like the opposite team. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my intent. I was trying to throw it to my teammate, but oh, like yeah, I wish sure. I had the throwback. But then like everything that happened as a result. So yeah, so. I think that was like a huge thing. I think I had already been tired because mm. I told you I was at Bancroft. I loved Bancroft, sure. but like Bancroft tired me out. Like I was, uh, if I'm being completely honest, it's completely vulnerable. I was yeah. tired of dealing with like yuppie white parents who sure. felt like their or felt like their community needed right when we were still a free and reduced lunch sure. school, sure. which meant that seventy five percent of our students qualified sure. for free or reduced lunch, right. which meant that the majority of our students were fucking poor and marginalized, right? right? right. And kids who were fresh off the boat and didn't right. speak English and like, right. right? But like, I had to be concerned with this 28 percent right. of parents. It sounds like you 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 were dealing with so many different types of individuals and it was mm -hmm. almost like a melting pot and not everyone in that melting pot understood what was going on and had their own entitlement, their own way of seeing things. And that caused friction and being having to deal with that on a daily basis seems to have worn on you. Yeah. And like, you couldn't have predicted the pandemic, right? Cause I was sure. dealing with that shit like mm -hmm. prior to, mm -hmm. right? All the way up until 2020 and right. then like 2020 hit. And I remember, I'm gonna tell you, you want me to keep it a stack, we keep it a stack with you. Let's keep right? it 100%. So, like, I'm on a Zoom meeting, yeah. right? It's uh, all 100 staff members, mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to be helping to facilitate, and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm talking and I'm facilitating, right? Mm -hmm. I'm engaged, right. and you know, like, take a sip, yeah. right? And like, I get a text from one of my coworkers, and they're like, sure. you know, your wine glasses in. 
the camera right now. <laughs> wait, like, wait. They can tell I'm not wearing pants right now. <laughs> and they're like, you're no, you're wine glass, my guy. Sure, sure, and I'm like, sure. was it white wine or was it red wine? It was red. Sure. It was red. The good stuff. It was the good stuff. It was a little <laughs> fruity, but kind of dry. Like, you know, it was a nice blend. A hint of oak, maybe. <laughs> Barrel aged. <laughs> I'm not a small day. All I will say is it was 10 o'clock and I was drinking. Sure. So they like, see the wine glass. You received the message yeah. that. Okay. And I'm like, I gotta like figure this shit out. Yeah. I figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't, I can't be on Zoom meetings right. with a hundred right. coworkers leading meetings, drinking wine. Like right. on, the, on the Zoom call. No. Yeah. It's no. reckless. Yeah. It's reckless. Super reckless. <laughs> like even for me. <laughs> like I'm historically, I've been a reckless kind of guy. You know, but like responsibility that, where, you, where we have to. But that was super reckless. It was super yeah. reckless. Man. You know, I think end of the day, <laughs> you have to hold space for it. Shout out to that coworker, by yeah, the thank way. Thank you for holding it down. <laughs> Being honest, we need people who are going to tell us we have food in our teeth when we do. Facts. And it sounds like you had good people around you. I had really good people around me. And overall, I think you made the right decision to take your talents to greener pastures. Because with the nonprofit, and I don't know if we've spoken, touched on this, you're still helping the school system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is at adjacent, right? So, mm -hmm. like, um, Arts for Maryland works with different ed organizations. The biggest one that we work with is uh, Baltimore City Public Schools. How ironic. Yeah, all right, full circle. How ironic. But it is around um, providing arts integrated learning and content for sure. their students, both before school, during school, and after school, which oh, would wonderful. include the summers. Oh, that's wonderful. Good for you. I think coming full circle and being able to go to the school system with some perspective with a new position you're able to work maybe not even just more efficiently but more lovingly mm. in this way with uh, a nonprofit. Yeah. yeah 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 i think it's free it's freeing right like yeah. i think it's like less the all of the like anxiety and self-doubt mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. self-analysis around whether or not like i have the skill set i'm good enough sure. or like because of a situation i have the like agency or authority to say yeah no right. it's all of those things i love that i love that well we're going to move into the next segment of the podcast and i must ask you what books are you reading right now to stay abreast <laughs> on what you do Honestly, are you are you i may uh, have it right here are you, do i have it i may have it right here hold on what yeah 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 oh, I'm I'm, all right so one of the books that i am reading right now this one it's a textbook it's a textbook on personal training and fitness and for our listeners who cannot actually see it's a personal fitness training book it is Talk to um, us about why you got into that, how you're inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, there's a huge correlation between mental and physical health and That's wellness. Sure. Four and a half, almost five years ago, I got back into my own like sort of physical wellness journey. Mm -hmm. And probably about two years ago, I got really serious about it, um, like right as the penny hit. Mm -hmm. And I think a result of that introspection has been like i really enjoy being in that space mm. and helping people i enjoy helping people in that right, space right right like getting to that space in that space wondering like what to do how to do it like how to connect this or that i love it's that. a lot of energy it is a lot of energy that. and i'm gonna take a moment of science for science right now okay there's a moment of silence moment of science mm. <laughs> moment of science <laughs> because what happens when we're stressed out and we're not working out right our body is releasing cortisol the cortisol is a stress hormone and we all know that stress kills 
And so if cortisol is being stored in our muscles, mm. the only way for it to be released from our muscles is literally contracting. And if you're sitting around all day, not hey, contracting your muscles, you're not able to do that. So no. I can see the power of physical fitness in relating to de-stressing and relating mm. to making healthy decisions yeah, yeah. and being able to relate to people in a loving and caring and compassionate way. Facts. If you're able to calm your body down, reduce the amount of cortisol and stress that's in your system, people will be able to relate to you easier. Yeah. I think for me, it's less about relating to me and more about feeling good about themselves. And that's so important, yeah. right? We need to feel good yeah. to do good. Yeah. You can't <laughs> do good if you can't Feel good. Feel good. What is it? In the words of the great Deion Sanders, if I look good, I feel good. If I feel good, I play good. If I play good, they pay good, right? So, like, you know, I the, think the common theme is just feel good. Just feel good. I, just feel I good. didn't know it was a whole thing. I'm going to have to write that one down. So, what is the best advice you ever received outside of the Deion Sanders? Look good, 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 pay good. <laughs> to be clear, Deion Sanders never said that to me specifically. But the best uh, piece of advice I ever received was from a you know a relatively smart guy, mm -hmm. and he told me, "Just control what you can control." Mm. Right, mm. like especially when you feel like everything is out of control, mm. right? So, like to put it in context, um, I think I was in high school. I think I like had been playing like shit. I played basketball. I've been playing like shit for like five games. Sure, and I was like, bro, I just want to quit. And he's like, look, like you can't control the ball going in the basket, but you can control what you do as a result. You can control how early you wake up to mm. like work out. You can control how many shots you shoot a day. Mm -hmm. You can control your attitude when you go to practice. Mm -hmm. Right. And the goal is to like control all those things and then just like string some good sequences together. Mm -hmm. String together mm -hmm. a good practice sequence, then a good practice, mm -hmm. and then multiple practices, mm -hmm. then a good quarter, then a good half, then a good game, mm -hmm. then multiple games. Mm -hmm. Right. I if love you can that. chunk it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You start to and like what that taught me was like fall in love with the process, process. with the process that's so beautiful because we do lose sight of the everyday things that we can control when there's so many things happening yeah. outside of us that we cannot control being able to do the little things so far ahead of the game when you're faced with another situation that you cannot control facts that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that i think we can all be inspired by that being able to see what's going on around us. A mentor mind style guru says, if you're able to control what's going on inside of you, then it actually doesn't matter what's, what's going outside. on yeah, outside. Yeah. Because no matter what's happening outside, you were going you, to you're gonna control you. You're going to control, control you. you. So thank you for that. I think we can all move forward with that. And it is the new year. Happy New Year to those who are listening it is hold on what is it how many eight, hours away it is 8 30 right now and we're on the west coast so yeah, we're on, on the, the last coast. one yeah. someone's listening to this right now and it's 2023 no no well yeah for sure but like <laughs> east coast it's another like 27 ish 26 is minutes oh touche touche yeah, yeah, yeah. well i think that being able to maintain a sense of self going into this next year is a great goal that everyone should have now my final question it's not yeah. a small one is what is your definition of God? It's so funny. I don't know if your listeners are going to be able to hear that, but like that's my my kid in the background. That's your kid. My, that's the... my youngest. That's my four year old in the background. Shout out, Dex. When you're old enough to <laughs> hear and understand this, 
We're laughing at you right now. So that that was him. You're my, so cute. But oh my gosh. Please shut up. Please shut up. Please shut up. <laughs> Hashtag effing kids. <laughs> so that was Dax in the background. I'm sure my 11 year old Adri is right behind him. Yeah, they're awesome. His two kids are awesome. They're the only kids I really mess with. I was gonna say, oh my god, who hates kids? <laughs> I don't hate kids. He just likes. Them. I just don't have them. He just likes them. <laughs> don't let him lie to you. Safe space. What a safe space. Kwame loves the kids. Shut up. Love Shut the up. Shut up. Okay. My definition of God. It is the through line of love that persists between my kids, mm. my wife, you, my parents family my family like it is that it is like and some people call that god some people call that Allah. some people call that vibes energy right like i call it god right like and i pray regularly for specific things sure and but it's funny right so like one of my favorite all-time comedies is dogma Mm, so it has like jay and silent bob it has summer hike it has chris rock right Ben Affleck and goddamn Matt Matt Damon. So like, there's a point where some hike is talking to um the protagonist. She's like, "Yo, like y'all humans got it effed up, right? Like, it's not what you believe, like Allah, Buddha, whatever. It's that you believe, mm. right? I love that. So like, having a belief, like sure. a sincere, genuine, honest belief in whatever your deity is, sure." Right, like yeah. that—that is the common through line. Like, and that's enough, right? I think that having something to stand on is more than enough mm. because you're able to feel that connection to those around you. Mm. And I've asked this question to hundreds of people, and I get different answers every time. Yeah, I'm sure you do. But one of the common threads that I do have is this sense of love and connectedness Mm. that this question elicits. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. my listeners, they love holding space and they're holding space for you right now in your definition. Even if they have a different definition themselves, they are holding space because they understand that the connectedness that having an understanding of a higher being brings. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the concept of a higher being. Just the concept. Whatever that being is. Whatever mm-hmm. that being is and being able to honor it within yourself and allow and accept those to have their own beliefs is what's special. Now, DJ, thank you so much for your time today. You did a great job. I think that what we learned today in being able to hold space for our teachers in the world, holding space for people who are trying to do good in the world, holding space with people who put gentleness and kindness at the forefront in their interactions and holding space is what I want my listeners to move forward with and be inspired by what you're doing and what you've done and how far you've come is a true inspiration to those and to the teachers out there and to everyone listening. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for all the listeners out there. And make sure you guys comment down below and share this on YouTube. DJ, it's been a pleasure. Love you, man. Love you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you guys who don't know, this is my roommate. Freshman year. Freshman year. From Morehouse College. Shout out to Morehouse. Shout out, dear Morehouse. Those were many, many years ago. Many, many many frozen pizzas. Not that many. 
<laughs> Fuck you. The calf had fresh pizzas. I'll have you know. We were eating good. I'm not even going to lie. First, come on. Like, you great. went to the calf without me. Okay. Oh, that's so cute. You yeah. have the shirt on. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, thank you for the community that we're building. Pause for hello. We are signing out. This is Dr. Elam. DJ, thank you again. You guys have a good one. And roll the music.